Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you. And thank you for letting us be part of your day as we wrap up another week. We have lots to talk about. We have more picks uh, by President-elect Joe Biden for key spots. We know his choice for uh, the Interior Department. We know his choice now for EPA. We'll be talking about that on Today's program, our guests will include Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And we'll also be talking markets today with Arlen Suderman from Stone X. And I'll have some thoughts, uh, my thoughts and some of my experiences of working with the pick for Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack. So that's coming up a little bit later on as well. But we'll start things off by talking with Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Kurt, good to talk with you. Merry Christmas to you. Good to be with you, Mike. Same to you. Hey, we have lots going on. First of all, what are you hearing on a spending bill as well as, uh, in conjunction with that, a COVID aid bill? Anything happening there? Are they getting uh, things worked out or not? Well, I think it's deja vu all over again. Here we are a week before Christmas, and Congress is trying to take care of matters to keep the uh, government funded, uh, respond to COVID, and uh, deal with uh, expiring tax provisions. I think we've seen this before. Um, I think there is some degree of optimism that they'll be able to come to agreement on on the on all three, probably on the appropriations to fund the government, which expires tonight, um, and then a COVID relief package, and then uh, a tax bill. It's unknown as to how big that tax bill might be. I think there is agreement in, in principle on what that looks like, although they're kind of uh, keeping it uh, close hold. But um, I, I don't think anything that's is going to be able to be wrapped up tonight by the time this uh, uh, current continuing resolution expires. So it's unclear as to whether they're going to pass another short-term continuing resolution or whether they intend to work through the weekend and have this uh, voted on probably by Sunday or Monday. Kind of nice to have that luxury, isn't it, to get a line coming? Oh, we'll just extend it. Uh, I guess a lot of us wish we could do that on some of the deadlines we face, but usually we cannot. Uh, what about tax extenders? Is the biodiesel tax uh, uh, credit, is that okay for the coming year, or does that have to be approved again? It's okay for the coming year. Uh, last year at this time, it, actually it was about the same situation. I think it was December 19th last year when Congress uh, passed the final business for the year and it included a five-year extension of the biodiesel tax credit. Now, two of those were retroactive for 2018 and 2019, but three prospective. So that that carries us through uh, 12 uh, December 31st of 2022. Now, we have been, obviously, talking to our champions on the Hill, uh, unsure of how big this tax package might be, but if there are opportunities to extend that out further in this package, uh, we, we're, we're all for it. Obviously, you know, the number one concern with the, the effectiveness of that tax incentive is its uh, predictability and certainty. So if there's any way to provide the industry uh, certainty beyond 2022, uh, we, would, we would surely appreciate that. We've been communicating that with our, uh, our champions on the Hill, uh, but it's kind of unclear at this point how, how large and, and how many years out this tax package uh, might extend temporary provisions. Yeah, that tax credit has been 
one of the few bright spots in a otherwise very tough year for the uh, biodiesel industry. We're talking with Kurt Kavark, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. Uh, your thoughts on the choice of Michael Regan as EPA Administrator? Well, I think it's a good pick. I think uh, he appears to be uh, young and ambitious. Uh, he's going to have a full plate uh, implementing President-elect Biden's agenda. You know, obviously, climate and carbon reductions was one of uh, the key pillars of the of the Biden uh, campaign. Um, he's kind of an unknown commodity to some extent in terms of uh, biofuels. I don't know that he has a, a strong record uh, or opinion. So it gives us an opportunity. I, I view it as a blank slate. I, he, he looks to have a great track record in terms of what he's done uh, for EPA previously on air quality issues and then in the state of North Carolina. I look forward to... Uh, you know, getting to know him and his and his team, and hopefully uh, convince him of the benefits, uh, you know, carbon reduction benefits of biofuels and how we can help achieve this uh, new administration's agenda in that area. Meanwhile, you're still waiting for the RVO levels for 2021, right? Absolutely, and and that, that's what I mean by he's going to have a full plate. I mean, when he comes in on on January 20th, or when uh, Biden's team comes in on January 20th. Uh, unfortunately, they're going to have a lot on their plate that needs to be dealt with soon. You've got outstanding small refiner exemption petitions that were granted, both to try to skirt the Tenth Circuit Court decision, all of the ones for 2019, as uh, additional ones come in for 2020. And then you've got the RBO that, that missed its statutory deadline of November 30th of, of this year that would set volumes for uh, 2021 and, and 2022. That hasn't even been proposed yet. So that proposal is going to have to be put out. There's going to have to be a comment period and then and finalize that. So there's no shortage of work that's going to be uh, necessary to be completed in, in short order uh, when the new administration comes in. And all of that is meant, you know, to provide a certainty for the biofuels and biodiesel industry. So the longer it takes to, to, to get those things uh, finalized, the more uncertainty there is for our industry. And that's, that's, that's not a welcome uh, sign, you know, when we're still dealing with a pandemic and uncertainty there to not have certainty in uh, volume obligation, the uh, volume obligations under the RFS is, is really disappointing. Kurt, I think back to January of this year, we started the year with so much optimism for the biodiesel industry. We were at your annual conference and talking about the, having the tax credit and uh, having that court ruling that seemed, you know, it's going to resolve the R, the, uh, the small refinery issues. Of course, uh, that didn't happen, and then the the pandemic hits, and so I guess we you go back and say you don't know what you don't know. You just didn't. We didn't know what was coming this year, but hopefully, hopefully, twenty twenty one is going to be a better year. I I I, th I hope you're right. You know, you're exactly right. In January, we were hopeful with long term extension of the tax credit. Uh, we had positive outcomes on trade cases, keeping out subsidized product, and uh, we had a win on. Uh, a court case to, to finally end the SRE loophole. I, you know, the pandemic is uh, unfortunate, obviously, for, for, for the country, uh, for the health impacts that it's had and for the economic impacts. I, I look at it as, as a bit of an opportunity lost. I mean, we were ready to really ramp up this industry and demonstrate what we could do when we had kind of firm uh, footing on our federal policies. It's unfortunate, but as you said earlier, uh, without that tax credit, this industry probably would have shut down this year, and I'm not sure how much of it would have come back. So that, that tax incentive getting enacted uh, late December last year really was a saving grace for this industry. I'm hopeful that we can kind of right the ship on RFS, maintain the wins on trade, 
continue a couple years of certainty on the tax credit. And hopefully 2021, I shouldn't say hopefully, 2021 will be a better year than 2020. I don't, I'm not sure that we could do much uh, worse in terms of uh, economic headwinds that we had in 2020. Well, the word we use a lot now is reset. We'll look for a reset in 2021 and move forward. Kurt, thank you very much. Happy holidays to you, and we'll talk again soon. Same to you, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you. Take care. Kurt Kavarik, Vice President, Federal Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. So we're getting more and more uh, picks by President-elect Biden for key positions. Now we know Interior and EPA. Of course, we've already knew a couple others like Trade Rep and Ag Secretary. We'll talk about all that with Ethan Lane with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're joined now by the president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, Zippy Duvall. Zippy, let's talk about some of the things happening. The apparent choice of Tom Vilsack to return to USDA in an Biden administration. Your thoughts on that choice? Well, I think that's a great choice. Uh, Secretary Vilsack spent eight years there, and, you know, he comes there with great credentials. I mean, as being governor great state of Iowa, big agricultural uh, state. And then, of course, since, since he came out of USDA, he spent some time with U.S. Dairy Export Council, and he stayed involved in the agriculture area. So Tom Vilsack's a friend of mine. We have a good relationship. I'm really excited and looking forward to working with him again to move agriculture forward. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. 
You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. President-elect Joe Biden continues to fill out his team for his uh, administration. Want to get reaction? Joining us now is Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Ethan, thanks for joining us. Uh, let's start with Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack coming back to USDA. Your thoughts on that choice? Well, you know, obviously we have a long history working with uh, Secretary Vilsack. It's going to make it a lot easier for him to uh, get right into the, 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 the speed of traffic, so to speak, as he, as he rejoins the agency he ran just four years ago. Uh, that allows us to get right to work on, on a, a range of issues that are ongoing at the Department of Agriculture. So we're, we're looking forward to, uh, to him getting back in the building, and, and I think it's a, a wise choice to, uh, to keep a steady hand at the helm and, and someone that we know we can work with and, and uh, find some common ground and, and get some things done. So uh, I think it's a, a smart choice on, on behalf of the Biden team. Another key position, U.S. Trade Representative. He's chosen Catherine Tai. What about that choice? Uh, do you have uh, any uh, history with her? You know, I, I obviously just working on on Capitol Hill uh, uh, in her role there. We're looking forward to uh, to working with her in this new role and and you know getting up to speed and helping her understand uh, what agriculture needs, what the cattle industry needs from from some of these trade deals. That's such an important piece, Mike, as you know of. Of, of us uh, broadening our consumer base around the world. And uh, we're in the middle of a lot of negotiations around the world right now, and that's not going to change anytime soon. So that's a pivotal role for us, and uh, we're excited to engage with her and, and start having that conversation. A lot of talk about the possibility of getting into something similar to TPP. Uh, is, are you hearing that? Do you think that's a strong possibility? What would that mean for the cattle industry? Well, you know, I, I mean, I think part of what we want to try to avoid is reinventing the wheel uh, simply because there's a new administration coming in. Where we have uh, seen progress over the last couple of years, obviously we were supportive of TPP in its original form. Uh, we're, we're pleased with the bilateral deal we have now with the Japanese. I mean, it's, it's providing us the access we need. Uh, we've regained a, a, a majority share there in the, uh, in the market of, of countries importing to Japan. Uh, so we, we don't want to you know, we don't want to throw out progress that's been made already. There's plenty of other areas to focus on on uh, new trade relationships. Obviously, the EU and the UK, there are ongoing conversations there. There's plenty of work to be done there, as well as furthering the relationship with China. Um, so obviously, this administration is going to want to leave their their imprint on those conversations. But I think we're going to continue to stress the importance of not not revisiting uh, arrangements that are working well for agriculture now. And instead, let's turn to new business. We're talking with Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. President-elect Biden has chosen Representative Deb Holland of New Mexico to be Interior Secretary. What are your thoughts on that choice? You know, uh, it's it's not a choice we were we were. Uh, I mean, it's a choice we were expecting. I mean, there's been a lot of conversation about uh, Congresswoman Holland over the last few weeks and and last month or so. 
you know, she's, uh, she's been very engaged in, in uh, a segment of issues that are uh, important at the Department of Interior. Uh, this is going to be a, a, a big ramp up for her as far as all of these other issues that, that the, the nation's land managers deal with. The Department of Interior is an incredibly complex place with a lot of statutory stakeholder obligations, not the least of which being obviously federal grazing rights, uh, but also administration of the Endangered Species Act and, and countless other areas uh, that are really impactful to agriculture and to ranchers. So she now is going to have a, a difficult challenge ahead of her balancing, I think, the sort of the hopes and dreams, for lack of a better description, of the progressive wing of her party. We've already seen that in the last 24 hours or so since, uh, since her nomination, uh, as far as, you know, kind of their their ambitions for her time at the Department of Interior, uh, and she's going to have to balance that with the, the, the nuts and bolts of, of running that, that complex agency and all of the resources that they manage. We're standing ready to, to help her with that, help her navigate that, and, and probably most importantly for us, help her understand the irreplaceable role that ranchers play in conserving those resources and, and protecting that 500 million acre uh, workload that, that she's going to be assuming. Yeah, as you alluded to, that position will be one that you in the cattle industry, with the beef industry, you'll be working closely because decisions made by the Interior Department will have a great impact on, on ranchers across the country. Oh, they're, they're, they're wide-reaching, and, and really they go beyond just the cattle industry, and they speak to the rural communities uh, that we support around the country. So many communities are supported by the ranching industry, uh, and, and, and helping her to understand the scope of that and the, the impact that small decisions can have, the ripple effect throughout those communities if you don't have uh, a healthy respect for you know, some of those environmental goals, which we support. Let's, let's make sure we're, we're doing that, but also recognizing the critical contribution that's already being made by those communities uh, you know, in, in those areas. That's that's going to be that's always the case. That was certainly uh, the case at the beginning of the Trump administration and the Biden administration before that. You know, you get a new team coming in and the new administration, Mike, and and first things first, you you start helping them understand just what you do and how you do it and what you need from them to be successful. So we we look forward to having those conversations with her and her team uh, should she be confirmed, and and uh, we're ready to get to work. Another key choice. Michael Regan, head of North Carolina's Department of Environmental Quality, has, is the pick to be the administrator for EPA. Uh, what can you tell us about Michael Regan? You know, I think it's been interesting to see some of the reactions out of North Carolina. Uh, guys like Ray Starling, who, who certainly um, understand this national landscape, uh, uh, coming out and saying, look, this is a guy we can work with. He's a guy that understands agriculture, that's shown a willingness to work with agriculture. Certainly, uh, his perspectives on some of these issues are probably going to be uh, more left of center than, than maybe most of agriculture might be. But, but he's, he's been a guy that has established a track record of, of, of willingness to have those conversations and willingness to find common ground. Uh, and that's, that's great news. That's something we can work with. Uh, we can engage there and start having some conversations on those range of issues uh, that he will oversee at EPA. So we're, we're excited to get started there as well and, and uh, uh, you know, start to build that relationship relationship with him and, and help him get to work. What do these choices, these and the other choices being made by Joe Biden, what if any message are they sending about the direction that this administration is planning to go? Well, it's a great question. I, I think, you know, since Election Day, we've been watching uh, the Democratic Party sort of try to sort out 
uh, how they fared and, and maybe some of the, uh, the disappointing results they had in rural America uh, and, and results that maybe were less than what they were expecting, even in, in suburban areas around the country, uh, both in the presidential and in congressional elections. And they now need to balance that. They now need to balance some of those progressive voices that want to see very aggressive change in, in, in a lot of these agencies, whether it be in the Department of Agriculture or Interior or elsewhere, um, with the, the, the needs of, of, of rural communities around the country uh, and some, of, some representatives and, and, and more moderate Democrats that are now vocally begging them to not go so far as to make them irrelevant. Um, that's going to be a difficult push and pull, and I think you're seeing that in, in their efforts to try to balance out members of this climate team that, uh, that President-elect Biden and his advisors are starting to put together. Um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I think we're all in the agriculture world going to have to be really uh, uh, aggressive in educating everyone coming through the door in the important role that we play. So much of the narrative uh, on the progressive wing of the Democratic Party is sort of uh, immediately negative on, on agriculture and really misses the, the, the fantastic contributions that we make uh, to sustainability and, and, and climate. So job number one is going to be getting that conversation to a good and productive spot and, and uh, making sure that they're using good science, using uh, uh, the right kind of data to, to make effective decisions and not take some of their best tools uh, for their agenda off the table by assuming that we're a, a negative rather than a positive. And I, and I think there are some folks coming in that are going to be willing to have that conversation, but it is going to be a push and pull, um, not just here, but throughout this administration. It's just the nature of a divided country that we're in right now. I think as we often talk about, there will be challenges, but also opportunities, as you said, an opportunity to sit down and, and get to know these people and let them get to know you and talk about the issues. And I think you hit on the key as they make some decisions, especially in some climate, environmental issues moving forward and policies, make sure they are aware of agriculture's role, what agriculture is doing, and uh, hopefully give credit to the contributions agriculture is making and not just uh, uh, cast blame as some want to do on uh, on agriculture. So hopefully get off on the right foot and uh, uh, I think that here again a strength of having Tom Vilsack back will be that familiarity that you have there uh, with him so we'll see how it all plays out we'll hope for a good 2021 Ethan we'll talk to you off and thanks a lot great talking to you Mike thank you all right take care Ethan Lane Vice President Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association stay with us you're listening to AOA Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. 
Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the ag industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Ag. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Ag. We hope to see you online. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall with a market check here on this Thursday's trading session. Grain markets are higher in trade Thursday with steady gains across the board following the export sales data that was released this morning. On the Board of Trade, March corn trading a penny and a half cent higher at 428 and a half cent. The May contract up a penny and a half cent at 431 and a quarter. March soybeans up eight and a half cent at 1196 and a half cent. November contract up three cents at 1065 and three quarters. For the wheat's March Chicago wheat trading six and three quarters of a cent higher at 605 and a quarter. Kansas City wheat March up four and a fraction at 565 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat March up four at 562 and three quarters. Cattle futures and cash markets are moving in opposite directions Thursday. The ability to test short-term resistant levels in February live cattle contracts is being tempered by act cash market pressure. Wednesday was a boost of energy that live cattle contracts needed and was a shot of hope for southern feedlots that are yet to sell cattle this week. Meanwhile, the feeder cattle market kept rallying in typical fashion on the Board of Trade February live cattle trading 35 cents lower at 113.42. The April contract down 20 at 117.65. January feeder cattle down 7 cents at 140.77. The March contract up 7 at 142.05. For lean hogs, the February contract down 22 at 65.70. The April contract down 25 at 69.17. In the outside markets, the Dow is up 128 points. The Nasdaq Composite up 65. The S&P 500 up 15. Crude oil is up 57 cents at 48.57 per barrel. The U.S. dollar is trending lower. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm no word in the English language is less convincing. Than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
Let's talk markets with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. Arlen, another little bump here in the markets. Uh, what are they focused on right now? Uh, China and South America, and you put those two together and you get some energy coming into the market, especially when the dollar makes new 32-month lows as it did yesterday. And we saw that really get going yesterday as the dollar broke hard and unconfirmed rumors started going through the trade that uh, Chinese buyers were starting to switch some cargoes of Brazilian soybeans to U.S. origin. In other words, that would indicate, if true, that the delayed harvest for, from Brazil has buyers worried that they won't be able to get those early shipments to fill the gap. And so now they're switching that business to the United States, further tightening our supply, which would need to show up in the January crop report. Yeah, I saw some of your comments on that, some of your reporting on it. So it's not that that's, they're not saying that they think it's going to be a, a bad crop or a down crop in South America. They're not saying that yet, that it's just that it's going to be a delayed harvest. So the timing of it is the key issue right now. Yeah, let's assume that Brazil and Argentina have a normal crop. And as the ad before we came on says, probably, you know, you can talk about that. But let's assume for now that they have a normal crop. That doesn't end the bullish fundamentals here if we have a delayed harvest because of the delayed planting and the need to replant in uh, parts of Brazil that delay those early shipments. Typically, we would see the first soybeans being harvested in Brazil in late December with uh, really seeing that harvest pick up momentum in January, starting to flow to the ports, starting to load the first cargoes there in mid-January. Uh, our team in Brazil now thinks that the first cargoes may not be loaded up until February 1st, and then it's at a slow pace and has to pick up momentum. So that leaves a gap that China needs to fill with U.S. soybeans, and meaning buy some more. How much more? That's a little bit more hard to determine as I talk to our people in China. Um, they have stocks at the port of about 7.5 million metric tons. There's unshipped purchases to China of about 7.3 million metric tons right now, unknown destinations of which China is probably the majority of that, another 7.1 million metric tons. So the thinking is they may have to buy another 2 to 3 million metric tons from us until Brazilian shipments go up to full steam sometime in late March or April, um, and that would further tighten up the balance sheet. Each million metric tons is about 36.7 million bushels. That's Arlen Suderman with StoneX. So Arlen, what are your people telling you about the prospects of the crop size in South America? Yes, I talked to them this week. They talk about the optimism that continues among producers and commercials in Brazil. Yes, there are problem areas, but the lateness of the crop leaves it uh, in such a state that it can benefit from late rains, particularly in Mato Grosso, northern Mato Grosso de Sul, and some of the surrounding areas. We're starting early next week. They've been very dry in those areas. Starting early next week, that pattern is supposed to shift north into that area where they get good rains. And so that will be able to benefit. Will it be able to erase all the losses? Probably not, but the possibility cannot be discounted that they could have a good crop now in Mato Grosso with forecasters thinking that that weather pattern will probably hold in through much of January. But that leaves southern Brazil now to dry out 
as well as Argentina. That's a typical La Nina pattern. And so in a La Nina, we typically see Brazil end up with an overall average trend crop, probably a little bit less than that this year. Argentina usually sees some significant cuts in production. So that's what we're watching going forward. If Argentina has a short crop, they're the world's largest exporter of soy meal and soy oil. That shifts more business to North America, just as it is now anyway, with the strikes that are going on there. So with this delay in their harvest, does that mean we can maybe expect to see kind of a, this rally at least continue a little longer, I mean, to get through that delay? Well, first of all, the funds are looking at all these fundamental matters through an inflation mantra. We're seeing the continuous commodity index trading to its highest level that we've been in many, many years. I think it's six years when I looked this morning at that. So they, they interpret fundamentals bullish. Um, and then when you look at the actual fundamentals, they tend to be supportive as well. Soybean demand is very difficult to ration with higher prices, meaning once you get below about 7% stocks-to-use ratio, each incremental reduction in that stocks-to-use ratio brings a much bigger increase in prices. And so the possibility exists there that we have to take prices well into the teens in order to ration demand. Now, that's still possibilities, not a guarantee, but those risks of those high prices for processors are certainly increasing, and the possibility that op uh, producers will see that opportunity are there as well. Unfortunately for the producer is most of the crop has been sold already, so any benefit that most of them will be able to benefit from would be in pricing next year's soybeans and or where they've done some re-ownership. Yeah, you told us last week about the possibility, not a prediction, but a possibility of beans in the teens. All right, what about the corn picture? Corn, it's still more uncertain and will remain that way likely for some time. We'll certainly watch the quarterly stocks report coming out on January 12th, uh, the final production estimates of corn and soybeans on the 12th. Um, when you look at export sales, they've been heating up again and uh, are well above the, they, the export sales pace argues for USDA to raise its export target. The export shipment pace, though, argues for USDA to lower the target. We're simply not getting the shipments. And even as soybean shipments start to seasonally wane, we have not yet seen the increase in corn shipments that you would expect in order to hit USDA's lofty target. So that's got to happen soon. A lot of those sales are sales to China that may that the government there may or may not ever issue import quotas for. And so that's the risk. If the government does not, then those sales could get canceled. We also see that China is negotiating with Brazil terms for being able to import Brazilian corn as well. How long might that take? It might take quite some time. It might be done by next week. We don't know. Um, I've been surprised that it hasn't happened before now because China really doesn't want to be dependent on the U.S. It wants to spread out and diversify its possible origins. Um, now, if Brazil has a short crop and there's safrina crop, yeah, that would still send more business our way. But that's a big unknown. That safrina crop doesn't even get planted for another 30 to 45 days. Um, so there's a lot of question marks, including ethanol demand, et cetera, for corn that could either make corn very bullish 
or could make it quite bearish. Now, I say quite bearish. If soybeans are going into the teens, that's going to help support corn. But corn fundamentals by themselves um, still are very uncertain. And you mentioned ethanol. Even with the optimism now of, of, of people getting the vaccine, it would look like it's going to be well into next year before we'd see any significant pickup in, in driving and fuel consumption. Yeah, the general thinking is as we get into the second quarter, we should start to see the economy come back around enough people getting the vaccines that we start getting active again and start driving again, and that would be good for ethanol demand. The question is, how much has this permanently changed our work habits, the driving habits, etc.? Obviously, driving will come back to some degree. Will it come back to the level it was pre-COVID? Probably not. Where will it be in between there? A lot of companies are going to continue to have people work for home, from home for quite some time. We at Stonex think that they'll eventually find out that it just doesn't work, that workers are more efficient when they're together collaborating and networking, but that may take several years for companies to figure out. So ethanol demand will probably be soft in the first quarter of this year, come back in the second quarter and beyond, but to what level is the big question mark. And finally, your wheat outlook. Well, wheat got some support this week from reports that Russia was slow walking export papers that exporters are trying to get shipped before February 15th when export tariffs and quotas kick into gear. That suggests that Russia is trying to avoid exporters trying to push more wheat out the door and that should help elevate the world prices. Um, we saw Egypt's tender simply not getting a touch from Russia. Well, Russia did bid, but they were $25 a ton too high. Um, that suggests that exporters are worried about being able to meet those commitments ahead of February 15th. We'll start trading weather in Russia as well as in the plains probably here in the next 30 to 45 days. Until then, we're probably going to chop around a lot and wheat's probably going to be a follower of corn. Well, 2020 was a year of a lot of things we didn't think we would see, didn't see coming, and most of that on the negative side. But on a positive side, especially with the bean uh, scenario that uh, we just talked about, uh, we didn't see this one coming necessarily either, and that's more on a positive note as we go into a new year. So we'll see what happens. Hard to kind of leery of making predictions based on what happened this year but uh, certainly the the signs are there for some uh, positive things market wise going into the new year and Arlen always thank you for your uh, your perspective your analysis and we'll be talking often in in 2021 thank you very much thank you Mike look forward to it all right happy holidays Arlen Suderman chief commodities economist for Stonex stay with us you're listening to AOA Adams on agriculture Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. 
Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Sometimes life is wonderful. And sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Neil Armstrong waited six hours and 39 minutes to step onto the surface of the moon. Jackie Robinson waited 20 months to play his first game with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And even DiCaprio had to wait 22 years to win an Oscar. You can wait until your destination. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, joining us is Brock Slaybaugh, Senior Vice President, Member Services for the National Rural Health Association. We're hearing about uh, shortages of, of beds and ICUs, the surge that's taking place. What can you tell us about how the system is holding up? We're experiencing some significant outbreaks of COVID in rural communities nationwide. These outbreaks are resulting in some states having positive testing rates over 50%, which is incredibly concerning as it relates to the number of individuals that will later need hospitalization, intensive care. And so our intensive care units are where I think we're having the most concern right now. That's where they're filling up. We're seeing 85, 95% occupancies in those units, uh, often just one or two beds away from overflow. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture, conversations with policymakers the movers and shakers in the ag industry. The pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of the topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you a guest important to the ag industry. 
It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Okay, we've talked about some of the choices by President-elect Biden for his team moving forward. Some new names, but despite claims by uh, Joe Biden that his administration will not be a third Obama term, a number of his appointees are familiar faces from the not-so-distant past. It seems political figures get recycled about as often as coaches do. That said, it should not have been a real surprise that Joe Biden chose former Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack to come back to the agency he led for eight years. The bigger surprise to me was that Vilsack accepted. Not only is Vilsack leaving an extremely well-compensated job with the U.S. Dairy Export Council, but he returns to a position that can be extremely stressful at times. Thinking back, uh, there was a lot of speculation at the end of the second Obama term that uh, Vilsack might not finish out the eight years. He did look tired and worn down at times back in those days, but obviously he has a good relationship with President-elect Biden, and certainly he brings a lot of experience to the job. While the reaction by most ag groups has been positive, there's been a little criticism. That's to be expected when you've been in public office as long as he has. Vilsack brings a familiarity, though, and a track record that ag groups can appreciate, especially on issues such as biofuels and dairy. They probably also view him as at least a reasonable voice for them in upcoming climate policy debates. In covering him for eight years, I found him to be intense but approachable. We got off to a bit of a bumpy start. When he first started at USDA, he seemed a bit standoffish with the ag press. I remember having a meeting with his press staff one day at USDA and did my best to explain to them that he could get his message across much better if he worked with the media. Well, over the years, I came to enjoy talking with him at various events across the country. He's very passionate about certain issues. I remember one time after doing an interview with him, I got up to leave when he came charging across the room at me and got right up in my face. And I, I thought he was upset with me. I wondered what I had said that had upset him. Turns out he was just wanting to make sure that I covered some key topics that he felt strongly about. I assured him I was already covering those stories and he seemed satisfied. Another time, after giving a speech at a major ag convention, we sat down for an interview, and he asked me how I thought he had done. I appreciated the question and was relieved that I could honestly tell him that I thought it was one of his best speeches. Not sure how our interview would have gone if I had felt and told him otherwise, but I'm glad it, uh, it all worked out. 
he and I were, developed a good relationship, and I appreciated his um, being accessible to the media and, and talking about issues. I look forward to covering him again and seeing if his approach changes at all this time around. I've covered every Ag Secretary since Bob Berglund in the Carter administration, but this one will be the first time I've covered one twice. Most take a while to settle in, but Vilsack should be able to hit the ground running. That's an advantage. I've often said one of the biggest tests for an Ag Secretary is how well they can deliver news to an audience that is skeptical at best and downright angry at worst over a particular policy or issue. That's part of the job. Well, Tom Vilsack has done it before, and it probably won't be long before he'll need to do it again. So we welcome back Tom Vilsack. Now, I welcome back a good friend of mine who is going to be a voice you'll be hearing the next couple of weeks here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm going to take some time off during the holidays. I'll have holiday shows on Christmas Eve and Christmas and and New Year's Eve and New Year's, kind of some best of shows. We go back and hit some key interviews we've had the uh, past few days. But the rest of the next two weeks, I'm going to turn over to my good friend Tom Brand, who is the executive director of the National Association of Farm Broadcasting and a longtime farm broadcaster himself. And he joins us now. Tom, welcome to AOA. It's good to be on the air with you this morning, Mike. Thanks for the the chance to uh, to catch up and visit. Well, looking forward to uh, turning the microphone over to you for the next couple of weeks. And uh, this gives you a chance to do something that's a a big part of you, right? The farm broadcasting. I mentioned you're the executive director of our National Association of Farm Broadcasting. But uh, you've spent a lot of time as a farm broadcaster. You know, I had the opportunity to start as a farm broadcaster back in 1993 at the Brownfield Ag News in Jefferson City, Missouri. And then another opportunity came along about a year later whenever my wife and I had a young family and we found ourselves commuting back and forth to home to be able to spend time with with, uh, our parents and, of course, the the new baby's grandparents. And then I was at KMA Radio in Shenandoah, Iowa, for a couple of years. And then the call came in from KFEQ Radio, which I know is an Adams on Agriculture affiliate in St. Joseph, Missouri. And uh, um, I called KFEQ home for um, uh, just a few days shy of 15 years altogether. And uh, it'll be nice to be back on the radio on the microphone side of things come next week and the following week. And uh, considered a privilege just being able to, to sit in as a guest host for your show, Mike. Well, in your work with NAFB, uh, you have stayed in touch with ag leaders uh, all across the country, talking issues and uh, working with folks in the agribusiness community. So um, it's not like you left. You you still worked with all these folks. That's exactly right. You know, our association touches uh, a, a lot of different uh, industries uh, in the fact that we have a regular connection with our broadcasters as well as, uh, as our station and, and network managers that are out there. But we also are connected to the agriculture community and, and visit with a lot of different organizations, associations, and companies. And, and those connections have, uh, have remained since I've uh, been at NAFB. And so I've done some reaching out and, and have some guests lined up for next week and um, some guests that you would normally uh, have on the, on the program as well. So I'm looking forward to the opportunity to, uh, to connect with some of those people on the air. Yeah, you'll do a great job and excited that you're going to be doing it and appreciate you filling in for me and uh, lots going on. I know you'll keep a close watch on this. Uh, what's going on in Congress? Can they get a COVID aid package uh, passed? What's going to be in it for agriculture? You'll have all the latest news for everybody uh, while I'm gone. So thanks a lot, Tom. Uh, wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas and a happy holiday season. And uh, uh, I know it's all in good hands as I take a little time off. Thanks a lot. 
Thank you. Merry Christmas to you and, and, and your entire family as well as your AOA audience out there too, Mike. All right, take care. That's Tom Brand. He'll be filling in for me the next couple of weeks while I take some time off during the holidays. Hey, thanks for joining us. I want to again wish you a very Merry Christmas and a happy and safe holiday season. Always appreciate you being with us and letting us be part of your day. Really mean that. Really appreciate it. We're excited about uh, this holiday season and looking ahead to a, a really good 2021, and we appreciate all your support. Again, Merry Christmas, everyone. Thanks for joining us here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.